Welcome to Soaring the Sky Glider Pilots Podcast. Hello, my name is Chuck. I will be your host, coming to you from the Mid-Atlantic region here in the United States and flying with the Cumberland Soaring Group. This is episode 41. This episode is brought to you by Arizona Soaring Incorporated, the nation's largest provider of professional glider training. Since 1969, they provided training from initial private through CFI glider and entry level through advanced aerobatics. Open year-round, seven days a week. More information is available at azsoaring.com. On this episode of the podcast, we talk with a gentleman who discovered soaring through paragliding. Today, he tells us what it's like being under the canopy instead of being in the cockpit, and how he discovered gliders through VR and a soaring simulator. Also, find out how he ends up in the Congo, face-to-face with a silverback gorilla, and live to tell the story. All that and more on today's episode of Soaring the Sky. Roy Heisler, welcome to Soaring the Sky. Glad to have you today. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing great. So how did this all get started for you, this aviation interest? And I guess my question, where you are right now? Well, um, (laughs) a long time ago, like 20, over 25 years ago, I was um, on a plane from Europe and I was sitting next to a guy. This was like in the early 90s and he was on his way to the United States and we talked for eight hours about paragliding because he was coming to the United States to paraglide. And I had never heard of this at all. It was still relatively new then, but I was fascinated by this guy. The And he was telling me everything he was doing, and um, it was great. But my issue was I was scared of flying in general. Uh, I was scared of general aviation. I was scared of all aviation, but I did it anyway. I, I flew everywhere in spite of the fear. So that started my interest then, and I've thought about it all the time since then, but I've always been scared of flying. My job requires me to fly all over the, all over the world. So slowly my fear of flying went away. Um, I saw that it was irrational <laughs> and, uh, a few years ago it completely went away. And then I decided I have to try it in one way or the other, or I would regret it. So I live on the East coast and of the United States and it's pretty flat where I am. There are some mountains in the west, um, western side of Maryland and Virginia. Uh, there are some paragliders there, so I started looking into around there. But then I decided, well, maybe I should try powered paragliding first. It's going to give me probably more flight time around here. And um, so I started looking at schools. And this was in 2014. And I went to paramotor school. And... I was down there for about three or four days, the first three days of classes, a lot of kiting and a lot of controlling the wing and learning about weather. And then I had to go on a shoot in Tennessee during school and I was going to come back and do my solo, my first solo flight. And I had actually ordered my equipment. So I was all in at that point. And I went to Tennessee. I landed in Tennessee, got a text message from my instructor and that he had gone down that he had an equipment failure and had broken his back. And I, uh, I reevaluated everything at that point. And I didn't, I was, it was confusing because I was like, well, I can't break my back. (laughs) So I stopped. I did not go back for my solo. He was recovering. He's fine now. I canceled my order for my equipment. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, you were already kind of afraid of flying, so that must have kind of struck you mm-hmm. and really made you think twice about everything. Yeah, it did. What sucks is I was enjoying it so much. I was enjoying learning about all of it. I was enjoying learning about paragliding and it just opened this whole new world to me. I was fascinated by it. And I, I, I enjoyed kiting. I just enjoyed practicing. It was all just fascinating to me, uh, which sucks because then, you know, I, it just went away. I continued on, but thought about it all the time for the next few years. I still thought about it in spite of the fear. And then I uh, fast forward to last year. I said, well, I have to complete this. I'm not a person that doesn't complete things, especially because of fear. So I started looking up just free flight schools, uh, just paragliding and not powered because I figured I'd learn more about, you know, uh, pure flying and not you know, launching yourself up with a motor, but really learning to really control the wing more and then progress into power after that. So go through an entire school of paragliding and then go powered after that if I want to. Um, And then do both. That was the plan. I talked to Chris Santa Croce in Utah, and I'm sure a lot of people have heard of him. Uh, He's considered one of the best teachers. And we had a great conversation. I told him everything that happened and he was very sympathetic to it. And he you know, said he was going to take care of me. So I, I went out there, uh, this time last year, actually it was, I think it was this week last year I was there. So I go to Utah. I, uh, go to point of the mountain where Chris is. He gets Superfly paragliding. I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Superfly is his name of his school. And he's, he's amazing. I, I like him a lot. I go out there the first day and he gets you kiting. He puts a harness on you and puts a wing above your head immediately. And, has you kiting on the top of this hill. And, you know, I could control it pretty well because I had a pretty good basis before from it. And it came back to me pretty quickly. So I progressed pretty, pretty fast that day. And he said, okay, we're going to go flying. He took me down. He takes you down to kind of the middle part of the hill and pushes you off. And pretty much he remote controls you all the way down through a headset. And I mean, and it's amazing the just the subtleties of movements that make make a difference when you're flying. So he he pretty much directs you all the way down and into the flare at the end and you land. And then we progressively went up to the next step and did it a little higher and did another flight. And so I did four flights and we were up at the, the highest point at that point on the fourth flight. I go down and my radio goes out uh, immediately. So I couldn't hear Chris at all, but I remained calm and just, did what I did before and went down and landed. And when I landed, I was kind of like, okay, I I thought there were two possibilities when I did this, when I finally flew. I thought there were two possibilities. I was going to love this and want to do it forever in spite of everything, or I was going to hate it and be terrified of it and never want to do it again. And when I landed on the fourth flight, I was completely in the middle. It was nice. It was fine. But I was kind of like, eh, you know, like, and then I really wasn't scared of it. Um, it didn't scare me. I felt completely in control. So I went to Chris and I told him this and, you know, we pretty much decided that that was it. Like he said, you can't really be in the middle. You have to kind of, you know, you need some fear there to keep you alive and you need the, you need the passion there to, to make it worth it. So, I mean, we decided that I was done at that point, which was even more confusing. Then I leave there even more confused and could, because I knew I wanted to do this, but I didn't know what to do at this point. So I get home <laughs> and then I start 
uh, researching other modes of flight. And I'm, I'm actually a drone operator for work, too, but I'm a cinematographer, so I also operate drones. And at one point, they were requiring a pilot's license for a, for a drone certificate, which is crazy. But I was going to do it anyway because, you know, I wanted a pilot's license maybe anyway. And then they changed the laws. So I was researching all kinds of different ways of flight. And I came across Bruno Vassell's videos on YouTube. And I think you had him on the podcast, right? Yes, we have. Yeah, and he's he's his video is amazing. The first video I came across, it was it's called Low Getting Desperately Low in the Tetons. I think that's what it's called. And I was fascinated. Like it was amazing to watch him work his way out of the Tetons. And I didn't completely understand what he was doing and it it looked very dangerous, but now that I look at it now that I know more about gliders, I'm like, okay, he had outs here and here. So I, I kind of understood it a little more. But that got me really fascinated in gliders. So I started researching gliders and luckily there's places all around me. I mean, in Pennsylvania is there's great places, Cumberland and, uh, you know, Virginia, there's, there's great places. So now I'm in this mode of like, well, I think I'm going to go gliding. <laughs> what better way to fly? Do you think so? Really? Do you agree with that? Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure you do. But my luck continues because, <laughs> so I contact, what are they called? The Mid-Atlantic Soaring Association. Um, and I think they're, they're just north of me in Maryland, like an hour away from me. And um, so I went there. I talked to a guy. He agreed to take me up. I go there. This is um, earlier this year. I go uh, for the ride and he takes a guy up before me and he was the first one to go and the tow plane, uh, they were all downwind. So the tow plane on the first tow barely made it over the trees at the end of the runway and turned left and went up and was fine, but it was a little sketchy. Like I even knew it was sketchy. I didn't even know what I was looking at. So they, they go up and the tow plane, pilot lands he comes up to us and says okay i'm pretty much stopping there it's too downwind and that you know we can't do it so i didn't get to fly that was it i didn't even get a sled uh, ride like it was nothing bummer <laughs> so i was like then i was questioning that like i was like is the, am i just not meant to do this like what am i doing you know like am right. i just you know everywhere i go i feel like is somebody telling me something or do I overcome this and keep trying and do it? You know, like, am I crazy? It almost makes me crazy. <laughs> Man. So where do you go from there? So, <laughs> so then I started doing more research and at the time, well, then I was like, well, let me try to learn virtually, you know, let, let me see if there's anything out there where I can learn how to fly at least in the meantime, where I couldn't get flights. I was frustrated because I couldn't get flights around me. So let's, see if I can get a simulation going. And I found Condor, which is amazing. And I was reading a lot of pilots and it was, I think it was developed by these pilots in uh, Slovenia, I think maybe, or somewhere over there. And I think they did a great job. And it, you know, from everything I've read from pilots, they say it's the closest thing that's out there right now. Yeah, Condor and, is amazing. Yeah, and luckily they had just released a version where that supported VR. And so I have an incredible computer in general. I have multiple computers. So luckily I have really nice hardware and I can run pretty much anything. So I got an Oculus Rift S and I started flying 
condor in VR, and it's pretty amazing. You you literally feel like you're sitting in this cockpit, and you can look everywhere all around you. You can see the back of your seat. You can see your shoulders. It's it's really strange, um, but great because if you put the stick right where the stick is, what you're seeing through the VR, it I mean it you can see your hand. It really feels like you're you're there and gripping it. You know. It does. Um, I mean, I've been. Obviously, you know, I've been in the glider because I fly, but I tried the VR out at Oshkosh, and I was actually threw me off because the guy's like, hey, close your eyes and put this on. <laughs> so I put it on. I closed my eyes. I'm like, why am I closing my eyes? Right. So I figure I'm going to be behind the tow plane, you know, when I open my <laughs> eyes and and taking off and following the tow. No, he puts me like 3000 feet above the runway. So I opened my eyes. Now, I've never had a VR on before with a glider simulator and my stomach. Actually, it's like I get like queasy and I'm like, whoa. And I'm like right above the runway, like 3000 feet up. And I realize, wow. OK. And I. Yeah, it feels like you are in the glider. I mean, it's the closest thing to a glider flight that I had ever felt. And like I said, I even got queasy. So, yeah, it, it is pretty amazing. So I'll second that. Yeah. And it's a it's a big issue, actually, with the queasiness and, and um, even people that do not get I don't usually get motion sick anywhere. I filmed out of all kinds of aircraft and hanging out of things and looking through viewfinders and aircraft usually pretty hard um, on your vestibular system in general. So I've never had anything like that. But with VR, you kind of have to slowly go in it because you're. Your brain doesn't exactly know what the hell is going on. You know, you're like, because <laughs> you, you should be having all these sensations. You should be moving, but you're not. It's really strange. So it does take a little while to get into it and um, where you do not, you know, feel queasy. But it's really amazing. Like if you, you know, the first thing I did was just bank into a <laughs> into a thermal. And I, I remember just looking down the ground and I was like, felt like I was in a plane. It's very, it's very strange. And when I started, I was horrible and I couldn't do anything. And like I was flying some tasks with guys in Europe and they were so good. And like they were completely above me at all times and going twice as fast as me. And I completely did not understand what was happening and how they were doing this. But slowly I started studying everything and flying over and over again in there. And now I've gotten a lot better where I can keep up with all these guys. And I've learned how to, you know. So a good thing that I've done that might, you know, if someone's out there that flies Condor um, that I've discovered is guys are posting their 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 flight pass um, and you can actually download the actual flight as a ghost plane. And you so the guys that have like say you're they're in the Alps and they have a task set up in the Alps and the fastest guy to fly that will upload his his flight track. And you can download it into a ghost plane, and then you can fly with him and try to keep up with him on that task. So what was cool is I started doing that and started flying with him. And the first time I flew in with that with that uh, ghost plane, I followed him right up into Wave, and I had never been in Wave anywhere. So um, and he, I just followed him right into it, and we were up at like, you know, he was at 18,000 feet, and I just flew at 18,000 feet on this task above everything. And before I was ridge soaring pretty much down the ridges going slow. So it's it's cool that you can learn a lot from these guys that are good and flying that way. Now, when you started out on Condor, did you start out with doing some of the training and following the toe? And yeah, doing, I just went doing through that? the went through all those little training clips that they had and um, they were fine. But, uh, you know, I I think when, you know, 
it, it, people have said it in real life. Like you, you learn more when you fly with people that have been flying for a long time. It's the same thing with Condor. It's really strange. I, I learned more just going into competitions with these guys because they all get online at a certain time. And you can go into these maps and there's, you know, 20 planes in the air and you can you're flying with all these guys and it's in real time. It's pretty cool. So I started yeah. learning just following them, you know, the real time is cool. I mean, the only downside of it is if you're on a three hour flight, you're really on a three hour, three hour flight. So, you know, you're sitting there on the computer for a while. But yeah, it's it's kind of wild because, if you know, if it takes you 20 minutes to get up there and release, that's what it takes you. I mean, it's just it's an actual like an actual flight. It's yeah. cool. Yeah, it's cool. So I think I've learned a lot. My 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 thing is now I need to get into a plane. I've been in a simulator way too long and it's, you know. And I'm getting a lot of enjoyment out of the simulator. So now I know I, I have to enjoy the real thing because I'm starting to understand it more. I'm starting to get, you know, some nuances. But now I have no idea if that's going to translate into the real world. And I'm fascinated to see if it does at all. I feel like I've almost maybe developed bad habits, you know, maybe. Or I take turns or do things that I probably shouldn't do. So I'm interested to see how it translates. I know that Condor will help you a lot when you get into the actual glider. And yeah, obviously, I mean, there's things that you do on Condor and that I've done on Condor that I would never try in an <laughs> aircraft because it's just chances you take that you just wouldn't take because, you know, you're on a simulator. And you're not actually going to do that. But as far as training, you know, I've been out of the glider all winter and I've been on Condor all winter. And when I get in the glider in the springtime, you can definitely notice that, hey, you know, no, I haven't been flying all winter, but I've been flying with the simulator, and mm. it's it's a big improvement. And your skills are definitely up there compared to the guy that is not flying all winter and doesn't have a simulator. I mean, right. I'm just a firm believer. It it definitely keeps your skills up there. Yeah, and I I've heard that the towing actually and the the landing is actually a lot harder in in Condor than it is in real life. I'm I have no idea if that's the truth, but have you found that? Yeah, you know, following the tow plane is tough anyway in real life, but I did find it really tough flying Condor when I first got into it. It was just real. I was like, why can't I follow this guy? You know, I, I, I can do it in the glider. I can't. How come I can't follow him? And I finally yeah. got it. But yeah, I think it is actually a little tougher on Condor. Huh. I mean, but one of the reasons in the first Condor, now I'm not sure about the two, but I think if I'm not mistaken, Condor one only had like a a hundred foot rope rather oh, than like yeah. you can do like a 300 i think in condor too yeah 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 so it makes a difference because all that stuff's you know happening quicker and yeah you're, you're right right there so i'm sure that made a difference but yeah i think it's pretty you know tough and it's good because once you get in the glider i think it's really going to help you i need to get in a glider now that's what i need to do and of course it's winter now so nobody around here is really flying so i guess i have to travel and so I'm planning on potentially going to Florida or somewhere, maybe Arizona over this winter and get a flight. And then if if that goes well, if something crazy doesn't happen where something I'll probably get there and every plane is down or so. I have no idea, but hopefully, <laughs> hopefully I'll be able to do it. So, you know, they'll, I'll get there and they'll say this has never happened before, you know, like, I, you know, something. <laughs> so. Right. But. I hopefully can get at least a ride, and then my plan is to just go right into to a commercial uh, place and really just knock it all out, knock a rating out if I can. I don't even know if that's possible, but because I've only dealt with clubs, 
I understand there are commercial places where I could just pay and just knock it out in a couple of weeks. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. If you have the time and the money, you know, you can. And it, of course, it won't take as much time as, as it would at, at a club. But yeah, that's really the way to do it. If you want to just go get it done, just, you know, go to your commercial club, even if you have to travel a little bit and, you know, stay there for a week or 10 yeah. days. I'm not sure. I mean, some of these guys say they can get it done within like a week. So wow. yeah, just go and get it done. Of course, it depends on the student too. But, you know, I've had friends that that's what they did. They went and they got it knocked out and they had their rating when they came home. That's great. Mm. And you're doing it through a club, correct? I am. So I'm, I'm doing, uh, doing the little slower version of it. And that's because, you know, we've talked about it before, but everyone at a club, they volunteer, you know, the, the flight instructors, they're there when they can be there. When they can't be there, then you hang out and you hear all the stories and get some great advice from the guys that have been doing it a long time. But, yeah, you just depend on, you know, other people to get your training in. And sometimes you'll fly a couple times in a week and sometimes you might not fly maybe a couple times in a month. So if you want to get it done, I definitely suggest to go to a commercial club and get it knocked out. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean – Maybe I can talk to you after I do my first ride and, <laughs> you know. Absolutely. Know, yeah. But I will say you have been in the air and, you, you know, I one of the reasons I, I have you on here is because you have been in the air and you did something that I've always wanted to do. And I don't know if a lot of people know because I haven't really talked about it much, but I've always wanted to like hike up to the top of a mountain with, yeah. you know, paraglider on my back. And jump off and go down to the valley and just maybe try to find a thermal and thermal in a way that I haven't thermaled. I mean, I think paragliders have a lot in common with gliders. And that's kind of like you know, once you really get into it, you're really doing the same thing that a glider does. You, you are a glider. You're just a glider with a movable wing, you know. Yeah, that's the same. It just seems like magic to me. That, that's that's the same for me. I, I really the hike and fly thing for me was was a big driving force of paragliding for me. Like I would it'd be amazing to hike up a, a mountain and jump off and fly down. I mean, that's incredible. Um, Absolutely. And, yeah. So the other plan that I didn't tell you was I've been talking to Eagle paragliding in Santa Barbara and I had a great conversation with them. And he, this guy Rob is amazing there. And he, I told him everything that happened, even with Chris and everything. He's like, you know, why don't you come out here, just try one more time and go through. And actually, I can take you on a tandem up in the mountain and actually fly, you know, and show you that you might like it more in that way where, you know, maybe we'll go up in the mountain, catch a thermal and really show you what flying is. Um, so I'm also doing that potentially this winter, going to Santa Barbara and completing my paragliding uh, P2. So I think I'm going to do both, which might be a little crazy, but I'm going to paraglide and all this winter <laughs> uh, go for it what what better time to do it right i know because i lose my mind it's, around here in the winter and then to be in santa barbara and flying towards the ocean would be pretty yeah. amazing you know because i'm not i'm not too far from you so we kind of have close to the same winter i mean i'm a little yeah. higher up in elevation but i'm over here you know 100 miles out of dc so you know I, winters winters are not my favorite time of year the older i get and then you know since i got into flying i definitely don't like winters much Ugh, at all because I, I, I don't get to fly much right. so it's lots of condor in the winter you know <laughs> <laughs> exactly but yeah go to a warm place and fly and get that stuff out of the way and when springtime hits 
you'll have the beautiful Appalachian Mountains to soar in, and yeah, it'll be great. Exactly. That's the goal. That's definitely the goal. And come out to Cumberland anytime and uh, and check us out and get a flight up with us, and it'd be good to have you. Yeah, I, I would love to. A lot of my family is actually from Cumberland, so I, you know, I would love to come there and fly. That'd be great. Very cool. Small world, right? Yep. So I know this has nothing to do with soaring, but you know, <laughs> as as we were talking, I really want to talk to you about something that we talked about, and that's some of your traveling you've done. You've done some amazing work because you are a cameraman. Yes, I am. So you've done a lot of traveling and had some very unique experiences. But one of the experiences that we had talked about, and that is your work with the gorillas, right? Yeah. So uh, I started working with the uh, gorilla doctors uh, in 2008, and uh, they are located in Rwanda, Congo, and Uganda. And they're the doctors that take care of the gorillas. And it started with this very small thing that I offered to do for them. I met the head gorilla doctor and he was this great guy. And I met another doctor that was on the board and I did this really small PowerPoint thing for them. That was it. And then they liked it. They came back to me and I said, look, you know, if you really want, because they're a nonprofit, it's called the Mountain Gorilla Veterinary Project. So I said, if you really want people to donate money, they need to see you working with these gorillas on the ground. Let me come film you. You know, let me come film you on the ground with these gorillas. And he was like, let's go. And three weeks later, I'm in central Congo and Rwanda, you know, with wild gorillas. It was pretty overwhelming because I'd never been anywhere in Africa. I've never I'd never been any in any developing country. I just said yes. And in spite of my fear, I was scared because it's Congo and Congo is, you know, kind of the wild west. But it and but Rwanda is amazing. And but I, I was so unfamiliar with all of it, but I just jumped in and did it. And that turned into seven years of going back there, back and forth and filming all kinds of things for them and just making small films that they would tour and they would talk and raise money and awareness. And um, they would like one time I got a call and they said, OK, we're, we're moving a baby gorilla from rwanda with a helicopter into the congo and we're going to release them in the congo in this big park but we have to move them with a helicopter across the border do you want to film it and i was like yes (laughs) so i (laughs) so i went there and i i stayed there for you know i think it was like 10 days the whole process of them darting this these gorillas and they had to build these cages within these helicopters that could hold these gorillas in case they you know, freaked out while they were in, in the air. Um, you can't have them freaking out on the pilot. You can't have them, you know, damaging the helicopter. So they had to build these custom cages inside of the helicopter. And they darted the gorilla outside of the helicopter. They loaded them on while they were still down. And they woke up uh, probably 30 minutes into the flight. And I put a GoPro inside the the cage so I could see the gorilla waking up. The gorilla woke up. He was completely calm. He was looking out the cage out, you know, outside and looking down and it looked like he was curious and it was pretty amazing. He wasn't freaking out at all, really. Wow. But I got to ride in a helicopter beside the other helicopter, which was cool and film, film that. And it was just an incredible experience. Like the whole, the whole thing, like uh, 
and we landed at the Congo airport and people might find this interesting. Like the Congo airport, the, the Goma airport in Congo, there's actually active volcanoes around this airport and the lava just comes, pours down onto the runway and there's commercial, oh my. there's commercial jets that land there. And the, the day I was there, there was lava that was like across the, like the, the last third of the runway and jets were landing and flying into this lava and crashing. And then they would just leave the plane there and like, get oh out. my goodness. <laughs> it was, it's insane there. It's insane. And they, you know, the lava is actually steaming on the runway. It's smoking, you know, like it's, it's crazy. So just another day in the Congo, for just them, another day in the Congo. And there's all these crazy pilots with all these old planes that land everywhere. And, you know, cause they, they land everywhere and there's these old, old steel planes. And it's a really crazy place. It feels like you're like a hundred years ago in the past. Like when you're there, there's no rules, there's no real regulation. It's just people figuring it out. It's interesting. Wow. What kind of preparation did you have to do when you went in? to film these gorillas. I mean, obviously there's all kinds of crazy stuff around you that maybe you don't want to run into, or I don't, I don't know what's there, but how did that work? Well, um, well, preparation, most of the preparation is for, um, is for infectious disease because, uh, the Congo still has the plague. And I mean, the Congo has everything still. So when you go in there, you, you know, I went to go get my shots before the trip and they have this map on the wall and they say, OK, it, it, it's color coded with what shots you need, what any sort of anything that you need to get into that area. And the Congo has a big black dot over it. And she's like, well, this is easy. You get everything because they have everything. And oh, wow. So I got so many shots and I had to lie. I had to take live yellow fever culture and all this crazy stuff. Like I was like, what am I doing? You know, like and. Beyond that is just you can't prepare yourself at all. Like all I could do was prepare myself for what I knew how to do, which was film and make sure my equipment was together, which is incredibly stressful because you can't get anything there. If you forget something, Um, you're not getting anything. And um, so I just, you know, I'm a crazy person about my equipment. And that was most of my preparation was how am I going to film this? And I had no idea what I was doing when I got there. Um, but I just figured it out and, you know, I was with the doctors and the, the day, the first day I was with the gorillas, they put me in the middle of this family of like 13 gorillas. And you're sitting on the side of this volcano in the jungle, uh, thick, you know, bamboo everywhere. And you sit, they sit you right in the middle of a family of gorillas. There's, there's little babies playing around you and, the first thing I see is the big male of the group. He's like a 700 pound silverback gorilla staring right at me, probably a hundred feet away from me. And I'm just staring right at him and I'm filming him and he gets up and full sprints right towards me. And this is five minutes into me being on the side. Oh of my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure the doctors were laughing because, uh, you know, I didn't know at the time I thought gorillas were dangerous. They're not dangerous at all. So, he just really sprinted at me and he made sure that he was the, he, I knew he was the alpha and he stood over top of me cause his kids were around me and I just put my head down and just waited for him to go away. And I stood up and I've never passed out in my life. And I almost, I stood up and I saw black, like all the, there was no blood whatsoever in the right place for me. And I, I almost passed out 
because I was like hyperventilating. You can hear it on my camera on the microphone too. <laughs> because, oh, understandable. Wow. Yeah, because I'm from the eastern shore of Maryland. Every every bit of wildlife on the eastern shore of Maryland runs from you when you come anywhere near it. Most <laughs> right? of the stuff in Africa runs towards you, and it's a very strange. It's a very strange sensation. Very strange to have something big running directly at you. You know, it's it's and- really weird. And just to stand there and basically just wait. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have great photos of that. It's hanging above my nephew's bed right now is a photo. That photo where that gorilla is just right off my shoulder, just standing there. And I'm, I've had my head down. <laughs> well, you'll have to share some of those photos with us and I'll put it on the website, throw it on yeah. Facebook and the Instagram. I'm yep. sure I know it's I know it's really nothing to do with aviation, but <laughs> it's it's part of your story. And, you know, when I get somebody's story, I like to I like to hear some of the other stuff, too. Yeah, because um, everybody has a story and that's some pretty cool stuff. Well, there was some aviation. We, we moved a gorilla with a helicopter. There you go. That, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but and, you know, later on, when you get the rating and you get back into paragliding, just think you could always go back there. And I bet there's some pretty cool places you could do some paragliding. Oh my God! Can you imagine? Oh, I can't. I can't even imagine. And the thermals have to be insane. Insane. Yeah. I mean, that's the. They're on the equator there. There's so much heat rising at all times. It's got to be thermals everywhere. So now your journey this winter will be. Uh, you got some work cut out for you, but yeah, I, I know with Condor that that's going to help you out a lot. So I think that's going to give you a head start and def- definitely let me know how the paragliding goes because that's kind of on my bucket list i'd like to eventually do that i like to run and hike anyway so it's like man how cool would it be just to jump off right here you know there's some places here in west virginia that are actually absolutely amazing Mm. and there's a couple lookout spots that i go to that have you know an amazing view in the potomac you know going through the mountains like a snake and it's like yeah this would be a really cool spot to do some paragliding can't even imagine. I mean, it would be like magic to me, like a little piece of fabric over your head and that you've carried up on your back. You know, it's really amazing that you can have an aircraft you can carry on your back. Yeah, that is amazing. And another form of soaring, but very, very cool. Yeah. Well, Roy, thanks for hanging out with us today. It's been great to talk to you, and I am looking forward to hearing what the future is, has for you. And, yeah, take the winter off and go someplace warm and learn how to fly, right? Yes, and I just want to thank you for having a complete rookie on on your show. That has, you know, that's pretty amazing of you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, you have you have a cool story, and you definitely started out doing a different type of soaring, but it, it's it's like I said, very cool, and it's something I have interest in, and I know some other people will have interest, and I know there's some paraglider pilots out there that greatly appreciate it. So good to have you on the show for sure. Thanks, Roy. Great. Thanks a lot. Thank you for joining us for another great guest here on Soaring the Sky. Always great to have you along. If you haven't checked out all the episodes yet and you can't wait for a new one next week, feel free to check those out. We have quite a library buildup now. I'm very thankful for all of you that have been a guest on the show. And of course, always, always thankful for each and every one of you as listeners. If you haven't checked out our website yet, there are some pictures on there of our previous guest pilots feel free to do that and if you want some info on social media as well michelle is here to give you all that information and of course as always another great place for some more information about soaring and maybe 
jumping in the cockpit and getting your first glider ride, finding your local club in your local area, ssa.org. And until next week, happy soaring. You can find us on social media. On Facebook, it's Soaring the Sky Podcast. On Instagram, it's the same. If you would like to say hi, just drop Chuck a line at chuck at soaringthesky.com. Or you can send us a note on the website. That's soaringthesky.com. Also, if you're a pilot, we want to hear your story. Just send us an email and Chuck will get in touch with you. We hope you join us next week for another great guest and adventure on Soaring the Sky.